So I want you to turn, and this is really the, the message of, of Operation Christmas Child. Is It's going right along with what we're reading here in Acts chapter 11, if you want to turn over there. Um, Acts 11 is, is continuing this thought. Um, our, our man Peter, he's, he's had this vision from the Lord, um, and God basically tells him, anything that I call clean, throw your religion out the door, it's clean. You, you may think something's not clean, but Peter, I know better. And so the Lord's kind of opening up this, this new phase of the gospel, this new phase of what, what was to happen. And so Peter goes and he's talking, uh, if you're reading through there, he's talking in chapter 11 um, uh, to kind of the higher-ups. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? We can't preach to these folks that are not Jewish. Are you crazy? <laughs> and so he says, well, here's, here's what the Lord told me. You guys may say this, but here's what the Lord showed me. And he tells them of the vision, and, and, and they're, they're like, oh, well, that's interesting, that's interesting. But I think something else happens in that telling. I think the Holy Spirit actually spoke to their hearts. Because you see a change of heart in these men, that they begin to say, well, you know what? The Gentiles also, God, has granted repentance that leads to life. In other words, we see that, that God is wanting to reach all people. It's not just people like us, it's all people. And up to this point, you'd seen a lot of work between the Jews and you'd actually, you know, there, there was a work with the Samaritans, but the Samaritans were kind of, kind of kin to the Jews, right? I mean, there was this, there was this connection of religion and so forth. But now we're seeing where people are reaching out to folks around the world. And this is what I love about chapter 11. It's not just <clears throat> reaching out to people that are close to you. It's maybe people that are totally different than you. People that you wouldn't even expect to know anything about God. And in Antioch, we read this. I want us to look at this. I want you guys just to make note of that, that the first place that people are called Christians are right here in this passage, right? So look at uh, verse 19, Acts chapter 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, <laughs> men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the script that there would be a great famine over all the earth. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we delve into this today, that you are glorified. Father, that, that as we hear your word, that we're not just going to be people um, who just come to church. But Lord, we come, we come today knowing that without a shadow of a doubt that you are here in this place. 
Your word is not just something that was spoken and was good once, but it's good for all of us for all time. God, speak to our heart today. May you be glorified in your most holy name. Amen. I would say one thing today, when I'm reading through this whole chapter 11, how we evangelize matters. How we do it. Don't you think we should be passionate about our evangelism? You know, be a little bit sold on it. Have you ever tried to buy a vehicle? If the salesman's like, yeah, it's okay, you know? I don't know. I've heard that if you went to a Ford dealership that they're kind of like that because they don't really believe in their products, you know? Right? They're just kind of like, yeah, it's a Ford, you know? I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm glad to see Jimmy here today. I did that for Jimmy's benefit this morning. But, but you know what I'm saying? If someone's selling you something they don't believe it, it's not, it doesn't really give you an incentive to buy, right? You know? I love when you go to Walmart and you buy a, a vacuum cleaner, you know? You buy a DVD player, I guess if you still buy those. You buy a, a hair dryer. They always ask you, would you like to buy extended warranty, right? And I'm like, well, you really have a lot of faith in your product, don't you? That you're already trying to sell me something in case it breaks down. Well, here's the thing, and I believe this without a shadow of a doubt, that when we evangelize, we should evangelize with a passion. You should believe in it, amen? Have we been changed or have we not been changed? That's a big question. And in Antioch, we see where the people, they were first called Christians in this place. And that's, that's important. <clears throat> we, we claim that we're Christians. We check that we're Christians. It's, it's kind of a term that we don't really think about much anymore. But this was not necessarily like a positive name given to them. I mean, they were actually, the, 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 the name, it says, was given to them. In other words, the society looked at them as a different group. They weren't Christian Jews, but they were Christians. They were Christ's followers. They were even called little Christ at times. And it's interesting to me that, that as they were being called this, that they were called this because people could tell a difference in their lives, right? They weren't just a bunch of Jews who liked Jesus. Now they were Jews and Gentiles and all kinds. They were saying, you know what? We follow Jesus and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It was different now. Things were very much different they were not just people who followed Jesus and Judaism. They were not just a sect of Jews, but they were people of all backgrounds who were following a Redeemer who was for all people. I want you guys to catch that for a moment. You saw in the early church, and you saw in the church in Antioch, that they were a group of diverse people of different, different backgrounds, but of one purpose, one purpose. You can look around here today. We have all different ages in here, don't we? Not everybody here looks all the same. You know, we all look differently. There's, a lot, there's lots of different genetics at play here. We have different, different opinions. Some of you are Chevy people. Some of you are Ford people. Some of you are Cowboys. Some of you are Sooners, right? Well, not now, but we were. We, 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 we have differences of opinions and differences of things, but the one thing that we have in common is Jesus. We need him. And, and in Antioch, I believe these people, you know, they, they begin to understand that. You read that, it says that um, as the Jews and as the believers were scattered, that, and it, it all happened because they killed Stephen. The death of Stephen was very much a turning point 
in the work of evangelism. When Stephen was murdered and, 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 and held before all the people and just shown to be a holy man, a, a man who was after God's own heart, that, that as that happened, people had to disperse. But as they dispersed, people were telling others about Jesus along the way. That evangelism was something that people did wherever they went. And it says that they kind of dispersed and some people talked to only Jews, but there were some, <laughs> I like that, verse 20, but there were some of them who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists as well. In other words, they were speaking to the non-Jewish people. I want to be that second group. It's not that the Jews don't matter, because they do, amen? It's not, it's not that Baptists don't matter, but they, they do. It's not that Americans don't matter, but you know, people in Turkey, people in Africa, people all around the world need to know about Jesus. We, we must as a church open up our our scope of, of seeing this morning and not just to be people who say, well, let's take care of what's going on here just in this little town. Let's take care of what's going on here just in our, our body of believers. But we have to have a, peop- have a vision that's, that's incorporating the entirety of the world. It must be something of that nature. And so how we evangelize is important. Our, our, our passion must be there. Our vision must be there. And guys, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it right, right, man? As I'm looking through here, I see that the church, the church has kind of some, some things that we should be doing. I think we do a lot of these as I'm looking at these points I'm about to give you. I, I think that we're doing really well on some of them. And I think we could probably do better on others, don't you? The church should engage the culture. That's the first thing I want us to think about this morning. We should be engaging our culture. What I'm seeing uh, a lot of times is that churches, the culture's different. The culture's weird, right? You know, I mean, our culture now does this weird thing called Snapchat, and I have tried it, and I can't keep up with it, you know? Honestly, I can keep up with it. I think that's the problem. It's like, the, the it's so short. Like, the, the things that are given to you is these little spurts of, of information, and then it moves on to something else. And I'm like, you know what? I can, I can sit down and watch a documentary, you know, I can sit down and read a book. I don't need such snippets, snippets, little bits of information just thrown at me like that. But our cultures are very different. The younger cultures are different than the older cultures. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when I was a kid, like cassette tapes were really cool. Now you can, you know, it's not even CDs anymore, right? It's not even downloaded. You can stream instant from a cloud somewhere, whatever that means. You can stream music to your phone, to your device, and you can listen to music wherever you go. I love it. So much better than have to get that pencil out and, you know, turn that little cassette. Or maybe if you had a, a CD and it wouldn't work and you'd have to blow on it, right? Because that always helped. I don't know how. My, my, my son, he plays, he plays games that are downloaded from the internet, right? I can remember playing my Super Nintendo, you know, and it would, it would glitch and you'd pull it out. And you were about to blow and all of a sudden it magically worked, you know? It was like, it was like the breath of God upon the game, just did a miraculous work. Things change. And I, and I think as a church, we need to, to be reminded, we need to continue to engage the culture. These believers, you know, they could have just kind of kept to themselves and said, you know what? Um, let's just kind of keep this among ourselves. Let's not go and try to tell these other people from other countries and other cultures about Jesus. No, it says, but some of them went and they spoke to everyone. Guys, we have to be adamant about preaching the gospel to everyone that we see. We must engage our culture. 
I think it's interesting if, if, you, if you keep up with battle stuff. I love like World War II, World War I type of stuff. And um, even like uh, when you read about like the Civil War, and the, and the battles, and you can kind of get into like, uh, the general's notes and their plans that they had, uh, they had plans for attack, did they not? I mean, you could get into this and you can see that. Uh, my, uh, my great uncle, Mace, uh, he was on a B-17 in World War II, and they flew, I believe it's 36 missions over Germany and France bombing the Nazis. Um, super cool that, you know, he was a, he was a waste gunner. Um, um, Unfortunately, he didn't make it home on like that 36 mission. They, uh, they, only, they only had to fly like 28 or 31. I can't remember where he was at, but they flew extra because they were so much into it and they wanted to see uh, Hitler knocked down. But he hung out and, and they were hit over France. And as they were flying home, I, which by the way, I got online, I read all these battle. I mean, there's, it's detailed. Somebody took a lot of work to detail all these missions. And, and as they were flying, they were hit. Um, some of their, uh, their engines were disabled. My uncle, I guess he was really close with the pilot. He wouldn't get off the plane. Everybody else jumped out and they become POWs. But, but he and the pilot were trying to save the plane, trying to get it to a place they could land it, and uh, they didn't make it. They died, they perished. But they, as I'm reading through those, those battles that they went through, they always had a game plan. They were very passionate about it. They didn't go over there and just kind of drop bombs. I mean, they dropped bombs, right? Um, they didn't just shoot down the enemy aircraft. They shot down the enemy aircraft. They, they had a plan. They engaged the Nazis. Guys, we've got to engage our culture. I can't say it any, any more clearly that as a church, we have to be engaging the culture around us. We need to discover the tangible needs of those around us. Now, I'm not just talking about a social gospel. Do you think we should feed people that are hungry? Yeah. Should we help people that are in need? Absolutely. But just like these early believers, we, mu- we must understand that the people in our community need Jesus. Not in a judgmental way, but these people need Jesus, right? Not like your mom used to say to you, you need to have a, you know, come to Jesus meeting, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in a very real sense, people in our area need to know about Jesus. And we must engage them with that. We can't expect to sit back and just be kind of like, well, you know, if, if, if we start filling our parking lot up, then people will start coming to church. Now, that's not going to work. I mean, honestly, if I go to a mall and the parking lot's full, that's going to make me not want to go in there, right? But as the church, we need to be engaging our culture. We need to be engaging our, our community. The culture of the, the non-Jewish folks that we see here in verse 20, what they understood, what they understood, <laughs> what they understood was that the folks in their community that they were traveling across, that they needed Jesus, they immediately understood that and they just told everyone about Jesus. They didn't just keep it to themselves. I like how Timothy Keller, the, the, the great pastor, he says that these evangelists were known as mavericks. Man, I want to be known as a maverick, don't you? Not in the Top Gun sense, but I want to be known as a maverick, as like an outlaw, basically, that, that I'm doing ministry differently because I don't want to be status quo. It's something that's always been on my heart is I don't want to just be a typical pastor, Right? I don't want to just be someone who just, well, yeah, he, he preached sermons and he went home. I want to see God do great and magnificent things for his glory. <laughs> I want that. 
Like our trip to Turkey here in a few weeks, I don't want it just to be a trip where you get to go and, and you know, we, we get to stay outside the city of Ephesus. That's super cool. But I would rather, when we leave there, Jesse, I would like there to be just a bunch of believers that come to know Jesus while we were there because the Holy Spirit was working through us in such magnificent ways. I want to engage people while I'm there. This week, I want to engage people in, in my states. I go to a pastor's conference tomorrow. It's the, the big week in Oklahoma Baptist Life. We have our meetings on Tuesday, but tomorrow's pastor's conference will be a bunch of preachers blowing hot air. And, I, and you know, I, I, I want to engage people there for Christ as well. Because I know it's the same every, every year. You run into some pastors and they're just, they're down and out and I get it. Um, not every pastor is as blessed as I've been in my career. I've always had people who love me, who are supportive, churches that loved me. Uh, it's, not the, it's not the case everywhere you go. But I hope I can engage some of my brothers in Christ tomorrow and encourage them in their walks, to encourage them in their faith. We have to be like that in everything that we do, church. We have to be the mavericks, the ones who stand out, the ones who are doing extraordinary things for the gospel. And, and even this work they were doing, I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, you may say, well, wait a minute, Daniel. I mean, they were evangelizing people in Samaria. Yeah, but the Samaritans kind of had a Jewish background too, right? There were some similarities there. They, they, they had some some religious stuff that was kind of the same. These mavericks were going into a society that they were worshiping foreign gods, multiple gods, gods of sex and wine and all of this. This is where they were going. And all of a sudden, there's a difference happening in that part of the world. Why? Because they engaged the culture. Do not, church, do not think for one moment that we've lost the battle in America. I think we've kind of pulled back. The American church has a little bit to say, well, this is what the end times is all about. It's going to get worse. So we might as well, no, we fought it even harder. You know, I think about in World War II, um, the, the British were being bombarded, the Blitzkrieg, all that was happening. I mean, the, the, the Germans were doing some crazy stuff. They were sending like missiles over. That was a whole new thing. How scary had that to have been at that time, you know, that these missiles that were, that there wasn't anybody in it. It was just going to come over here and blow your building up. But even in those dark hours, you see the people, they just pulled together. They pulled together. People would die, they'd pull together. People would die, they'd pull together. And they continued to fight. We finally, we were able to be a part of that as, as the Americans. We went and we, we came alongside them and we were able to defeat them. But again, it wouldn't have happened if they didn't engage in battle. You have to engage, guys. We cannot pull back at this point. As the church of God, we must engage full force now. I know there's some terrible things going on in America today, but that doesn't mean that God's work is done in America. That doesn't mean there can't be a revival at the church say amen. It doesn't mean that America even has to be in a bad spot when Jesus comes back. We could be a light to the world. And for some reason we think, well, as, as the time gets closer to Jesus getting here, then everything's just going to go bad and there's going to be marks of the beast and there's going to be all this kind of stuff going on. We get caught up in that instead of just preaching the gospel. Quit being doomsday naysayers, right? Quit being negative Nancys or negative Neds or whatever. You need to be a person who preaches the positive gospel and that is that all people can know Jesus. That's the answer. That's the answer. Let's not give up on the world that we've been given. It's kind of like a farmer. How many of y'all have ever planted a garden before? You know, and I, I bet everybody's going to identify with this statement here. You, you spend some time, you, you break the soil up, right? Uh, several, several years ago, I was pastoring in Quentin, Oklahoma, and we built like a big garden, and I did it all by hands. 
they had like that Texas Bermuda grass in the backyard where I was planting this. So, I mean, it's like grass like that thick and I had to take that layer off and I'm turning the soil and I added fertilizer and I put seeds in the ground. We watered it. And there's always that moment when you water that you're like, I wonder if this is going to happen. I wonder if these seeds are going to take, take root. Guys, I want to encourage you today. You may think your work's not doing much, but wait for the harvest. There will be a harvest. There will be good to come if you spread the gospel. We, we, we can't rely upon our emotions, right? We must be a people who are engaging the culture. Engage what's around us. We do it every Sunday. I think this is a good start or what we do here. We have worship. We have Sunday school. We have preaching, right? This is a good way to engage culture. It would be better if we would bring people who didn't know Jesus. I know you are really comfortable. You're like, well, Daniel, Sunday's kind of my day. I, I want to come to church and just be comfortable. And, you know, I don't want people to, I don't want to bring someone. It's just uncomfortable to bring somebody to a church. I get it. But they need to be here to hear the message. And maybe even on a bigger scale, they need to hear the message from you outside these walls. The, the call of the church is to engage. Are we engaging the culture? I think we are in a lot of ways. I think we could do better. I think our engagements can be longer. I think our engagements can, can uh, be a little more full force, right? But we need to engage the culture. Another thing I would say about the church is that the church should know their audience. Who's our audience? Well, I, I ask that every week before I preach. When, when I was in college, uh, and even when I was in high school, in some of my speech uh, theater classes, they always said, know your audience. That's what I was always told. Know your audience. When you get up there, know who you're talking to. You know, if you know who your people are, preach to that. If you don't know people, then preach to what they need to know. And we, we see this, that these guys did the same thing. They knew their audience. Um, what I think is interesting, and this, you can mark this, um, this is kind of the first part in Scripture where you see them refer to Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus is always known as the Christ. That was a very Jewish thing. Because the Christ was this idea of Redeemer, right? Messiah. That would make no sense to people living throughout Turkey. That would make no sense to people living throughout the pagan world. They didn't, they didn't care about Jewish culture, right? They didn't care about the hope of Israel. What they needed was a hope for themselves, their sinful desires. And so what we see here in the Greek, this title that's given to Jesus, um, it, right there in verse 20, it says that they went around, preaching to everyone, and it says they were preaching what? The Lord Jesus. It's just interesting. When you go back, and you go back into like the other passages, it's talking about the Christ, the Savior, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, but here we see the idea of Lord. And that Greek word, it's interesting. These people knew their audience. They weren't just going around saying, hey, you guys follow Jesus. He's the hope of Israel. That wouldn't have mattered to them. That's like me going to to Turkey and saying, all you people know Jesus because he's the hope of America. Well, he is the hope of America, but he's also the hope of Turkey. He's also the hope of Timbuktu, right? He's the hope of everyone. What they did as they were traveling, they said, hey, you guys look to the Lord. And the word here is curios. It's a curious word, isn't it? But this word curios, it actually means Lord. It means something that was used, sure. They called people Lord, higher-ups were called Lord, but Here's the key. Here's the key I want you guys to think on here. That word curios was also used in reference to a deity that brought salvation to people. It was used in that way too. 
And they knew, their audience knew. And so they called Jesus not just Messiah, some foreign word from, you know, from the Jewish language, Hebrew language. They didn't just call him that. They called him Lord, which would point them to being a deity that could save them, a deity that could bring salvation, redemption to them. I think that's important, isn't it? They knew their culture and they called Jesus that on purpose so that the people could understand. We must know our audience, guys. Um, what, is, what do people in America need today? Do they need another church? <laughs> there's a church on every stinking corner. You know, there's like not even a block away and there's another Southern Baptist church. And they're part of the same denomination, the same association as us. And they were one block away. There's a church here, there's a church here, there's a church there. You know, there's churches everywhere. What America doesn't need is more churches. What they need is a real relationship with God. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it needs to sink into our minds. They don't need a Messiah. They don't need another religion. What they need is a personal relationship with Jesus. How do they get that? By you and I engaging the culture. <laughs> you and I engaging the culture. You and I being people who are going out here and we're, we're telling people not, not just some generic story, but we're saying, you know what? This is what Jesus has done for me. I've said it a lot over the last couple of weeks, and I hope it kind of starts sticking in our minds. You should be really comfortable sharing the gospel and sharing your testimony. As a believer, it should just roll off your tongue. Now, sometimes we're like, well, Daniel, I'm not really an evangelist. No, we're all evangelists, every single one of us. These guys weren't like evangelists per se. They were people who were kicked out of their homes, who were running for their lives. And as they're running, they're telling everyone else about Jesus. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty cool what, what happens when believers are put on the move. You know your audience. What do we need to know about our audience is that they need a savior. I know that about people in the cloud. It doesn't matter if they're the same skin color as me. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're African-American or if they're Native American. It doesn't matter if they're Asian. It doesn't matter what ethnicity they are, but everyone needs Jesus. One of the focuses while we're in Turkey, and I want you guys to be praying for us, um, we're going to be going to places. Um, our, our guides, our people that are, going to, that are on the ground, the missionaries, they're not really missionaries, but they are. <laughs> but they're, we're, we're working with these people. They're going to look for opportunities for us to share our testimonies to others. And man, I just pray that whenever I get to share my testimony, they just, man, it's, it's powerful. That's the Holy Spirit that speaks to the hearts. I pray that we have the courage to engage those people. I pray that we understand their needs. And I do know their needs. Their, their need is Jesus. Muhammad will never save you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Some, some fake religion is not going to help you at all. The only thing that's going to help you is Jesus. That's it. And how do we do that? How, how do we be a people who know our audience? How do we be a people that engage the culture? I mean, we have to have a power behind us. Don't you agree? It's just like when I think about the worship team. You guys get up here every week, and we have these things called speakers, and we have electricity, right? Which we've discussed this before. We don't need all this to worship God, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. I like that. It, it, there's, a, there's a force behind the speakers. There's a force behind the guitars. And church, what I want you to understand today is that there is a force behind you. You are not alone. When Jesus said that uh, to go into the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, hello, what? I am with you always. You get into the first book of Acts. He says, you guys, hang on, hang on, hang on. The Holy Spirit's about to come. 
Chapter two, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. Now you see people who are going out in full force power, empowered by what? The Holy Spirit. Church is so different for you and I today. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage the culture. We need to have a heart. Man, I, I, was, I was encouraged the other night. We were talking with some youth and there's one in particular, one youth, he just cracks me up. Didn't know this kid was, I didn't, I didn't know him before. I thought he was just kind of awkward. He is awkward. But, but the funny thing is, is he's a hilarious guy. And he was kind of telling us the other night, he was like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like maybe the call to ministry. And he's kind of beating around the bush, you know? And before that though, he told us, I kind of want to go to school and I want to learn like, like languages. I want to learn Hebrew and Greek. And, you know, I want to, you know, do stuff like that in my schooling. And we're like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. I may want to learn Latin. Okay, cool, whatever. And then he says, but I think God's calling me to ministry. And we were like, dude, you're literally setting yourself up for seminary. And he's like, seminary, what? Seminary. I mean, it, maybe God is calling you down that road, brother. We need people that know how to read the, the scriptures, you know, in the original languages to, to help give us a fresh picture. Um, there, there's a lot of value in knowing Greek and Hebrew, right? I mean, we would have missed the point today if we didn't know what kurios meant. There's, there's, a, there's just a, a deeper meaning to Lord. It's not, I think a lot of times we think a Lord is just being something the, that the British called each other. Good day, Lord. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's deeper than that. It's not just a, you know, uh, something that, that is just generically given. They did this on purpose, that people might know Jesus. And so how do we get by? How do we engage? How do we know? The church should kneel to the Lord's sovereignty. The third point this morning, the church should kneel to the Lord's sovereignty. Do you guys know that God's powerful over everything? Uh, I, I shared it Wednesday night. Uh, with our Wednesday night crew. Uh, I'm excited to go to Turkey, don't get me wrong, but there's a little bit of dread in me too. There's a little bit of like, oh, I'm leaving my family. You know, I'm leaving during one of the most magical times of the year because <laughs> we're big on Christmas. I mean, we, we we like to do as much Christmas stuff as we can cram in. We do it. We're, we've already started singing Christmas songs around the house, you know. Um, Whenever Jaron lets us, and he's not trying to put in Blippy or something like that, but we 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 we're, we're very much a Christmas family. We like Christmas. We're if you don't like Christmas, we'd probably make you sick at our house. I just let you know. I mean, uh, but the thing about it is, I, you know, there's a, there's this a little bit of dread like going on mission, but there's a little bit of like you know what God's going to do something really big too. So what do you do with that? Like Joni's talked about it. Well, you you know it's 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 hard, right? She it makes her sad. It makes me sad. You know, I'm not going to Turkey to get away from her. Like, I would be happy if she could go with me, but, you know, the school board don't like her just leaving in the middle of school year either. So how do we get through this stuff? How, how do we power through, right? How do we power through? I told you guys a few weeks ago when we, we had some terrible news given to us as a family. I, I didn't want to preach, but I did, right? How? We understand that we have to, we have to kneel to the Lord's sovereignty. God, you're, you're powerful when I'm not. It's, it's in my weakness, God, that you are strong. I, I pray that I'm kind of broken down over there. Man, I might need to cry on your shoulder, Jesse, you know. I miss Joni. <laughs> I've been on mission trip before, and I'm, I'm always kind of a baby like that. I'm missing. We were in the middle of a jungle one time, and uh, we got, somehow we crossed paths with some, uh, one of the missionaries, and he had a satellite phone. Well, I'm like, hey, I'll pay money. I'll pay good money. I got folding money right here, buddy. If you'll let me call, because I want to call my wife, make sure they're all still alive, you know. It was like $30 for three minutes to call on a sat phone, you know? A bunch of my other buddies are like, man, you're, you wuss. What, you're, you're going to call your wife now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to call my wife. How do we get through stuff? 
We get through stuff by kneeling to the Lord's sovereignty. God is all powerful over all things. God will empower us through whatever we go through. Let the church say amen. We must remember that the Lord Jesus is the hero of the gospel message. We're not the heroes. We must remember that Jesus is the goal of the message of the gospel. We're not the goal, amen? Jesus is the source of the power in the message of the gospel. I I like the fact that the church in Antioch, it was not born out of being culturally relevant. The church in Antioch was born because they were effective in evangelism. Never forget that. We could think, we could think all day long, well, how can we grow this church? You know, what can we do to make us feel, you know, as a, as a, as a place that, that makes people feel at home? I get it. We need to make people feel at home here. That's what I'm saying. But the way that we effectively grow this church is that we become effective in evangelism. And not just in Turkey. And this speaks to me and this speaks to Jesse and it speaks to anybody who may go on a mission trip this year. We must be evangelistic in our own community. Amen. Church in Antioch, it was birthed by effective evangelism. And the result was a church that was growing. The result is that it was a church that was mentioned here as the place where people were first called Christians. <laughs> I love that. It was a diverse church that was first known. It could have been any of the other churches that were mentioned here, but it's not. It's Antioch. Antioch were the first people to get it. We're going to witness to everyone and anyone. I love like a, a famous Okie saying if you go somewhere, maybe a restaurant or somewhere, and somebody looks at it and they say, well, they'll just let anybody in here. <laughs> Yep, we sure will as a church, amen? We'll let anybody in here because the message is for all people. We are, by nature, should be at least defined as, as engagers of culture, as people who know our audience and the people who kneel before the Father and say, Father, you're, you're all sovereign. Your power is, is what we need. It's your power, not, not our power. I, God, I need more of your power in me to, to get me through the tough times, to get me through the good times, to keep me humble, whatever. The church in Antioch is this beautiful example of what you and I should be. What are people going to say about us 100 years from now? And the Lord tarries, what are people going to say about McLeod first 2,000 years from now? I know everybody thinks, well, Jesus is coming back really soon. He might, he might not. We don't know. We could all be around for 2,000 more years. What are people going to say about the church here in McLeod? And I don't mean it to give us praise, but don't you think God wants to be known? I think he does. We get to tell people about him. We could be a, a catalyst, a, a starting point in a work in America that people will never forget because the gospel is something that lasts for eternity. The message of the gospel is something that, that saves for, for all eternity. Psalm 124, we talked about this other night. I just want to read a portion of it and then we'll close. But Psalm 124, David's writing and, and he says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us, when the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers, the snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I showed this the other night. This was the first, I can remember this. 
uh, in seventh grade, I got to go to a Christian school for two years. And the first big piece of scripture I ever learned was Psalm 124. And I learned it in that archaic language, King James Version. You guys remember that one? But I learned it in that, right? They let us choose between that and some newfangled translation called the NIV. But, but I, I chose the, you know, the KJV because I was kind of raised up around that. But the words that have st- stuck in my head for so much that our help is where? It's in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where our help is. Our ability to engage, our ability to know, our ability to spread the good news around the globe and in our town is in knowing Jesus. May we be a church who knows Jesus, amen? May we be a church who practices effective evangelism. We should make a point of it, guys. And I, I'm not saying that to put a guilt trip on you. It's not like I'm looking out here and saying, well, man, Jim didn't bring anybody to church with him this morning. <laughs> Preston's just sitting there. He didn't bring anybody to church with him this morning. You got, you got, you got any sinners in your life, man? Oh, you're okay. <laughs> he brought his wife. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to leave that lying there. I'm, I'm going to move over here. That's not the point, right? I think we just need to make it a point in our lives to practice effective evangelism. You know what? If you evangelize someone and they go to the church down the street, praise the Lord. I mean, I'd like to see them here, right? But wherever God leads someone, that's where we need to go. I've, I've done a lot of ministry over the years, and the people didn't even come to my church. Well, that's a nice how to do, right? <laughs> I led someone to the Lord several years ago in Porham, Oklahoma, and they ended up going to a Pentecostal church because that's where they felt comfortable. And I'm like, what? No, I wasn't like, what? I was like, good, right? I guess if you want to be Pentecostal, go shake your tail feathers and do all that that they do there, okay? That's great. Wherever you feel comfortable, but as long as they're preaching Jesus, amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you for your words. Your, your word is so good to us today as we're, we're seeking what to do. Lord, we don't have to go very far to know what we are to do because we know that our help is in you, maker of heaven and earth. Lord, I've got to pray today that you would make us a people who engage, a people who know what people need. Lord, I pray that we are people who are empowered by you. Father, I pray for these, these saints here in McLeod that God, you would, you would just pour through them. Not for our glory, but for the glory of you, the Most High God. Lord, if there be anyone here today or anybody that's hearing this message later, God, that needs to know you, I I believe that your words have been spoken. I believe that God is going to go forth and do what it's intended to do. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts. That today, Father, if there be anyone who has recognized their sin because of your Holy Spirit and illuminating them, Lord, today they will come and publicly proclaim what you've done for them. We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. God, we can be saved. But I pray that you would send us forth, one and all, into the world, an evangelistic force that is to be reckoned with, because you are powering us in your most holy name. Amen.